Hello and welcome to episode 129 of the Good Good Golf Podcast, a specially convened edition of the show called to continue our discussion of a couple of weeks ago on the Mixed Australian Opens. Rod Murray in the driver's seat, and as regular listeners will recall, episode 127 was a comprehensive warts and all discussion of the recent Mixed Australian Opens at Kingston Heath and Victoria Golf Clubs. On that episode, we welcomed Golf Australia magazine editor Brendan James into the studio to discuss an opinion piece he wrote Sunday of the tournament, lamenting some of the, as he called them, one percenters that didn't go as organisers might have liked during that week. Now, that is, of course, just one side of the story, and today we're going to shed some light on the other side when Golf Australia CEO James Sutherland joins us in just a moment. But first, let me bring in my co-host for this discussion, Golf Australia Magazine Deputy Editor Jimmy Emanuel, who's already on site for this week's Sandbelt Invitational. Jimmy, welcome. Looking forward to hearing what James has to say on what is a hugely important issue for golf in this country. As am I, Rod. It's uh, always good to get both sides of the story, and that's our job as journalists, isn't it, is to present both sides when we can or give the opportunity to, so I'm looking forward to it. It used to be, but it seems to be these days. It used to be, but as as Clayton said to everyone (laughs) as I arrived at Kingston Heath this morning, this is Jimmy Emanuel. He's the only golf writer left in Australia, so... (laughs) (laughs) Uh, perhaps a stretch, but not too far off the truth, unfortunately. Well, he's a busy man. We've already kept him waiting for too long. So let's extend a warm welcome to Golf Australia CEO, James Sutherland. James, thanks for taking some time. Would it be fair to assume you weren't in complete agreement with everything that Brendan wrote in his piece, nor everything that we discussed on episode 127 of the pod? Uh, yeah, that'd be pretty fair <laughs> summary, right? Um, <laughs> uh, it sort of got to a stage where a couple of those... Um, uh, I didn't didn't get all the way through the article. I got the gist of it early, and um, and I thought I'd leave it at that. So let's get to some specifics then, James. Um, first things first, it was a bold move to take on three national championships in one week, particularly given we hadn't had an Open of any colour in the country for a couple of years. So I think we tried to make that point during the pod. But uh, when that decision was taken, I assume that that was all part of the thinking, was that this was going to be, uh, no doubt, a somewhat gargantuan task. Yeah, it was a, um, yeah, it was a bold, um, it, it was a bold move to do what we needed to do. And I think, I think there's probably, um, it's important to go through a little bit of the history before we get into the detail, Rod. Sure. Um, yeah, the 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 scale of things. Obviously, we've had um, COVID's caused us to postpone a lot of golf events over the last few years in in Australia. Two Australian men's opens were cancelled. One women's open, uh, and through that time as well, uh, you know, the the if we if we go back further over the last decade or so, the Australian men's open has uh, has actually been. Um, outsourced, if you like, to an agency uh, on behalf of Golf Australia. Uh, Sport5 and predecessor organisations have had um, the responsibility of running that event. And um, through COVID, we came to, um, I guess, reacquire those those rights to that event. And um, through that period in, in reacquiring that, we faced a whole lot of, um, I guess, economic realities, but also strategic um, I guess I- imperatives around what we wanted and what we were looking for in the game, and, and I guess what our responsibilities were, Golf Australia as governing body, and how we play our role with with the national strategy. And we can talk talk a little bit more about that later. But 
um, certainly we did take that um, that event on board. We we looked to bring the men, the women, and and all abilities together into into the one event. We lost the co-sanctioning with the with the LPGA through that period, but we did pick up a DP World co-sanctioning with the, on the men's side of things. Um, which, which provided a, a bit more of an international flavour on, on the men's side of things. But there's no doubt the degree of difficulty in putting on a uh, men's, women's all abilities event across two courses. We actually had three courses because we took over Cheltenham as well for media centre, practice range, car, car parking and, and other things. Um, there, there is a lot involved and, and you know, by, by extension, um, Golf Australia uh, hadn't, I hadn't actually looked after an Australian Open for for over a decade. First time back in Melbourne for um, for more than twenty years um, for the men's Open. So a whole lot of things. Um, obviously, degree of difficulty very high. Um, not an excuse, but important background nonetheless. And and I I would hope that none of your listeners would would begrudge us. Um, being aspirational and and wanting um, wanting to try things and to innovate in such a way that we can um, make this tournament, the Australian Open, uh, more relevant than it has been uh, in recent times. I don't think anybody would, James. I don't think any of us would either. No, none of the criticisms that any of us made, and we didn't just criticise the Open. I think we, I hope we were pretty fair in saying that uh, it was a. I, I was I was of that split mind, a, a bold move that I couldn't wait to see play, but I do have concerns about the notion of a mixed Australian Open, just more broadly, and whether that's necessarily leaving aside some of the difficulties that you've already pointed out. Uh, and I don't think that was the tone. It's a bit of a shame in some ways you didn't finish reading Brendan's article because actually it, it did go on and ultimately to say, as it always does, the golf was phenomenal and all of those other things do in fact sort of wash away when the the golf takes centre stage, which it did, and that's down to the venues and the course setup, which, as he rightly said, Golf Australia nailed 100% for both courses. And not that that's an easy thing to get right, leaving everything else aside. When you've got men, elite men, elite women, and elite all abilities players, course setup is a a real issue. So I don't think that was certainly was the case. But like most golfers, I think James, we all love the game and we want it to see its absolute best, as I'm sure Golf Australia do. What are some of the challenges? that we can't possibly know about, that we've perhaps missed in making some of the criticisms we did of what happened of the tournament a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, I, I think um, I mean, you're absolutely right. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm being a little bit flippant in saying, you know, I got the gist of the article yeah. early on and the, the rest sort of washed over me. Of course, I read it um, because, you know, we're very interested in getting yeah, feedback. We're, you know, right now we're... We're in the process. In, indeed, this discussion today is, you know, it's good to good to listen to your views and have a chat about it because um, we're very much in the mode right now of stakeholder feedback and understanding. And, I, and I've got to say that the, um, there are some, you know, resoundingly, uh, the feedback on the event is extremely positive, and there are a. There are a number of things, uh, some of which were raised um, in your podcast and, and Brendan's article that are specific items of feedback around um, player service and, and issues there that are, in my view, um, very, very fixable, um, uh, but important nonetheless. Sure. And, and we have already started um, discussions with the tour and players and player managers to get that feedback. There's nothing to suggest, in my mind, that these things can't um, can't be overcome. Uh, 
But I think re- you know the high level. The, the the really important thing is that 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 fan experience was incredible. Um, players, uh, I remember talking to a number of players, European players in in uh, Brisbane the week before uh, the Australian Open, saying how much they were looking forward Sorry, to coming okay. down and playing on the sandbelt, having never been there before. And then they got to the sandbelt, they got to Victoria and Kingston Heath, and they were like. Wow. Exceeded, exceeded expectations. Good, That's right. But I didn't know it was going to be this good. <laughs> yeah, very much so. And they were just absolutely in awe of that. And I think um, quite rightly, full credit to the team um, that set up the courses, um, both from a greenskeeping point of view, but also um, in setting the courses up and um, obviously a degree of difficulty involved in men, women, all abilities and, and pin positions and course length and all of those sort of things, which there was a great deal of um, thought and preparation put into. Um, that that experience, that fan experience was fantastic. Uh, and I think I think importantly, and, and uh, uh, we can talk as much or as little as you want about this, but, um, you know, from a commercial point of view, uh, partners, uh, commercial partners, government partners, um, they absolutely love this format. It's where where they want to spend their money, and there's not a lot of sports that can can offer this. Obviously, tennis does, and and in some ways, tennis, the Australian Open, uh, is a model for us. It's a Grand Slam event, so it's very different in terms of its global um, attractiveness and and brings the best players in the world. But it's a format of the game that uh, that allows you to play a, a format of its game that allows you to put men, women and all abilities on the same stage um, over a couple of weeks and in our case a week and it's something that commercial partners really relate to and it's something that fans relate to and uh, the thing for golf in Australia um, that is that that is and has held it, held it back over um, a couple of decades now is um, is that it's not bringing a broader and new audience to the sport. And um, as a sport, we have high aspirations of competing with the biggest and best sports in this country, but we can't do that unless uh, people speak with um, their eyes and their feet. They come to our they come to our events and they watch on TV, and they want to be a part of it. And the the reality is, I mean, I've I've only been got working in golf a few times uh, for a couple of years, but the, but the number of times that people have talked to me about you know the glory days, the Greg Norman era, and all of that, and what what it used to be like um, golf in Australia. Um, th- those days are clearly gone, and we the game and the whole nature of s- the sport entertainment industry has changed in Australia significantly since then, indeed globally. Mm. And as a sport, we are trying to compete. We, we're basically competing for people's leisure time and we are trying to get people to watch our events and um the reality is in this this event uh that we played a couple of weeks ago in melbourne uh we had more people attend than we've had since than than we have been at the australian open since 2011 Fabulous. Uh, and that was a President's Cup here with Tiger Woods playing. You answered my question, which was, did, did it work? Because I know that there's no question there's something appealing for commercial operators about the notion of a mixed event. No question about that. But did it put the boots on the ground? And you're saying, yes, it did, it did achieve that. 
Yeah, look, I think from from a spectator, we were blessed with the weather. We're playing at the Sandbelt, first time back in Melbourne. So there's some things there. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to look at it through rose tinted glasses. There were things that that worked well and and fell into place for us. Uh, but at the same time, those numbers um, speak for themselves. And uh, we will not, as a sport, golf will not. Um, will not succeed doing the same thing it's been doing for the last twenty been doing for the last twenty years, and um, being new to the sport um, and the administration of golf, I, I'm actually in awe of the work that the PGA of Australia do in putting on a tour um, that is economically viable because people just don't understand, um, and I don't I don't think it's talked about enough the challenges of. Um, tournament economics in in golf in Australia. Um, things have changed in twenty years. Um, there's a there's obviously a domination through the PGA Tour and the wraparound and the the inability and the challenges of being able to have players here. But um, with that also comes um, challenges around commercial revenue. Um, so just put it just put something in context here. Um, most sports are built off the back of media rights and and income from media rights. So there's a big bash match last night, um, as there is most nights at this time of year. That one match, that single match, is worth more in media rights to Cricket Australia than the whole summer of golf is worth to Golf Australia and the PGA put together. One big bash match. And that context and that commercial reality is something that golf pundits, commentators, and fans need to understand. That's the challenge that administrators are dealing with. And and I come back to, you know, the P- Golf Australia puts on one event, one major event, obviously the Vic Open and some some other state opens as well. The PGA week after week here in Australia are putting on a tour. Um, you know, 20 events or whatever it is a season that they're, they're increasingly partnering in partnership with the WPGA as well. So let's not forget the women's tour as well and try to create increases in prize money that provide, um, put food on the table for, for pros, but also provide playing opportunities and hopefully a gateway through to um, you know, pursuing, a, pursuing a career overseas, where, which is ideally more lucrative than, than Australia. Um, they're doing an incredible job, um, but it's against the odds, and it's it's really challenging. And the only way we're going to change that is by bringing more people to the game, and that starts with more people playing golf, and then wanting to watch golf, and um, making making it relevant from a television point of view. Jimmy, that, James, when you when you mentioned the that we're in, you know, competing against other sports, but then you bring up something like that cricket. Thing, well, we're not in the same realm. So, is it is it such a competitive thing for golf, or do we need to find our own niche for it? And and on the on the commercial partnership stuff, I I I agree that the financial cost of running a golf tournament, I don't think I think very few people understand. But do you think Golf Australia maybe hasn't done a good enough job itself of getting that message that that has played a part in this? Because you know, having a history making world first is important, but saving some money. In, and making the sport more viable and the tournament more viable is also something that's been helped by this decision. 
yeah, I, don't don't get me wrong, Jimmy. I'm not. Um, I, I don't want to link um, some of the some of the shortcomings in the Australian Open two weeks ago to uh, economic reality. So let, can we just make sure we separate those two yep. things? I'm yeah. talking. I'm ta- the economic reality. I'm talking about in a bigger picture. Um, as I say, the, some of those smaller things. Um, the smaller things, let's call them the one percenters, as Brendan did. Um, they're they're things that um, that I think that we can easily fix, and we will fix. Um, and so so let's park that. I don't think that's that, that's a matter of of economics. Um, the 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 bigger, more important thing is um, making sure that uh, Australian golf. Um, and the Australian, the summer of golf is is attractive to to golf fans. If we if we want to be niche, and all we want to do is to be, um, to be something for for us that on golf fans like you and me, well, we we can do that. Um, but we're in a downward spiral, and um, the prize money for the event, um, the amenity around the event, um, all of those things will be on decline, and um. Will not improve, and and um, to 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 grow and to be to be relevant, um, we need to innovate and we need to do things differently. It's a multi piece. When you mention, oh, sorry, go, Jimmy. You go. Yeah, when when you mention that need to innovate, and I I, I commend you for for having the go at it, and As do and I. I, I say say all the time, the Vic Open is one of my favourite events of the year, but it's kind of built for purpose. Was was it uh, was it almost? Not too big of an ask, but coming back from two years of no men's opens, one year of no women's open, and first in-house run Golf Australia of Australian Open in ten years, to then change the format, bringing this all together, was that was that pushing the resources? I'm not saying financially and everything, but was that pushing pushing the envelope maybe a little bit too hard in the first year? Could we have gone? Did we look at the idea of maybe playing the men's one week and the women's the following week at the same course, and then work towards that? You know, that's a, that is a lot to ask of the staff and 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 yourself. And you know, this is your first Australian Open as well. So, were we were we pushing really hard for a for an innovative concept? Maybe before we were quite all the way there. I'll let you have the conversation with Victoria Golf Club and Kingston Heath about spreading the tournament over two weeks, Jimmy. Um, <laughs> Or more more accurately, speak to the members. See how you go with that one. Um, oh, look, we we thought about lots of things, but I mean, let's come back to it. The reality is, there's there's so much to celebrate with this tournament. Like, yeah, I, I'm not shying away from the one percenters, and we'll fix those one percenters. Um, there'll obviously be an element of compromise and balance that's required in order to do that. But uh, I I just uh, I mean, I, I don't want to sound naive here, but we we're, we're trying to take the game forward. We've we have a new strategy, which is a uh, it's not a golf Australia strategy. It's a strategy for Australian golf, PGA Golf Australia, WPGA. Basically, behind it, together with the the Golf Industry Council, put a lot of work in it through twenty in, into it in uh, through twenty twenty one, and um, it's as it's aspirational and it is specifically around growth it's it's about recognizing that uh, I'm, I'm sorry to say it guys but for 20 years golf in this country has been on decline um just have a look at the numbers have a look at the participation numbers have a look at the membership numbers 20 years of one percent decline till covid came mm-hmm. um it's it's just not it, it's not something that we should tolerate 
we have to change we have to change the game and and I understand that innovation can um, fly in the face of um, heritage and the proud history of um, two great golf tournaments men's and women's um, but at the same time they can't continue on in the same fashion because um, quite simply the two of them together or the, the in 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 some um, they're not economically viable and and as governing bodies for the game uh, we, we are not for profit organizations that are trying to generate surpluses that we can invest back in the game so that it can grow and at the same time we're trying to create playing opportunities uh, for players to go to greener pastures overseas and, and pursue careers playing golf and generate prize money that allows them to um, to be well rewarded for, for winning major events. All those things come together to say we're not sitting still. We're, we're, we're going to try to take the game forward because uh, that strategy is what we what we want to do, and it wasn't us that did it. It's, it's an industry-wide strategy where we consulted broadly. You guys would have been part of it, um, and, and you would have had your input. People don't want this game to stay still, and they certainly don't want it to to decline. Uh, we love our golf, and we want it to be bigger and better uh, than it has been. Uh, no, no need to apologise, and either James, lots of us have been saying for 20 years that <laughs> from within the industry that golf needs to change and shake itself up, and we are seeing some movement in that direction, and that's to the to the good, and much of that innovation has come from right here in Australia. And David Greenhill, we should tip our hat to him constantly for the innovation that, of the Vic Open, which ultimately ended in these mixed Australian Opens. They're, golf always strikes me like a hairball, James. It's this, everything you pull here has an effect over here, sometimes unforeseen. There's no question that the barriers ahead, they're not insurmountable, but they are multiple, and some will come as a surprise as you go. One of the first ones you're going to encounter if we're going to continue having these mixed events is scheduling. It's the biggest problem for every golf tournament outside of the PGA Tour, and to some extent the the European Tour, the DP World Tour. The end of the year will not be a good date for women's golf, with the LPGA season being completed. And the start of the year won't be a good date for a men's Australian Open with the PGA Tour, even with the wraparound season gone, with the PGA Tour firing up. So there's obviously some difficulties there around logistics and players. Players are ultimately one of the keys to making for a successful Australian Open to achieve, and this is the question I'm getting to, what's the role of the Australian Open in achieving some of those other things? Golf has multiple problems on multiple fronts, not the least of them being public golf, we see some bubbling around Northcote Golf Club again this past week. Um, we don't know what all that's sort of about yet, but we've seen these issues and we know that the game's under pressure. What is the role of the Australian Open? And for Golf Australia, how do you allocate resources towards the Australian Open to fulfil its role and the rest of those elements of the game, getting juniors to play, getting more women to play? We've got an awful gender imbalance across the game more broadly, and it makes no sense. It's one of the few games where that shouldn't be the case. So there's a lot to confront, obviously, and it's on multiple fronts. How does GA figure out where to allocate resources and what to do with? Yep. Um, I mean, the, the Australian starting point with that, Rod, is the, the Australian Open should be Australian Open should be a showpiece in our game. They should be. It should be a. It's a uh, the 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 two events, men and women, are a, a pinnacle events in um, in the summer of golf, and they're the trophy that um, Australian golfers, men, 
or women uh, most want to win. Uh, we hear that from our players very you know, uh, often. Which is important, isn't it, James? Our own players, they, they have a key role. It's important that that continue to be the case. Yeah, and, and you know, every credit to um, to our best players um, who, outside of those who had um, tour commitments, qualifying tour commitments or, or whatever, they, they all came back and they were all um, extremely enthusiastic about participating in um, in in their national open, and and they did so um, magnificently. I think, um, I mean, you know, again, I, the the economics is important. I, I mean, let's just let's just stop and and talk about the women's open for a moment. Um, and you mentioned scheduling, and and I think this is a we talk about it a lot. Um, and the the squeeze that has happened to, I guess, Australian golf and our summer of golf by virtue of the um, you know, the wraparound season, the the PGA Tour and um, the DP World Tour goes you know, basically all all year round now, um, and and the economic reality is our players, you know, that's where the priorities are because there's more more money available to them over there, uh, over overseas than there is here. Um, so there's only a small window for our players to be here, and and as you rightly point out, Rod, there's a there's a slight difference between the preferred time for the men. Um, uh, uh, versus the women, but but let's just talk about the women's open for a second. Um, it's been going for forty eight years. Um, the women's open in Australia. Uh, in that time, eighteen out of those forty eight years, it hasn't been played. Eighteen out of forty eight years, it hasn't been played. And that is, COVID was one of those years. But yeah. outside of that, it's the economic reality. Uh, of of that event, um, have a look at have a look at tennis, and think about how many men's and women's tennis events are played around the world together, outside of the Grand Slams. Doesn't happen. Again, this is this is the economic reality. They bring the men's and the women's together to great to create a great event over two weeks. Um, but it's also the commercial reality of, of how they uh, they support the store, sport, feature the sport as a sport for all, and they do a magnificent job of that. Um, the big picture for us is attracting more people to the game and presenting the game as a sport for all, and um, that's that's part of the challenge for us. You know, the 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 women's open has not been economically viable for basically forty eight years. Um, and somehow we need to continue to do that because we want to present golf as a sport for all. 18% of the members of golf clubs of Australia are female. It's it's actually a it's an astounding number, really, when you think about golf. Um, golf's always been a sport for women and girls, uh, and yet 18% today are female. Incidentally, I might add, 50 years ago, Down 33%. That's right. Of members of golf clubs were female, so there's something about a demographic. We're not doing very well. No, but there's uh, there's something about a demographic in there too, isn't there, James? The game 50 years ago was a very different sort of a game to perhaps what we have now in terms of the membership models and the number of golf courses, etc., etc., etc. Not everybody is that an excuse, though, Rod? No, no, no. It's not an excuse, and I'm not suggesting it is in in any way, shape, or form. And I think you're right. I think women's participation has reduced, and that's uh, not to be defended. In fact, that's to be decried. That's um. 
that's no good. James, we're talking a lot about hurdles, and there are lots. I mean, it would be easy to just get overwhelmed and say, oh, it's all too hard. Why do we even bother? We're never going to get to that. We hope we're never going to get to that. Let's talk about some of the positives that we do have. It seems to me some of the issues we're talking about here are internal golf discussions because the golf market, the golf fan, needs to be satisfied as well as the new people that you bring in, obviously. And so that can sometimes be the danger with innovation is that the baby gets tossed out with the bathwater, that idea that we just throw everything out and start again. Well, then you sort of start from zero. The things we do have in our favour What do you see them as? I can't help but come back to, and this is very golf-specific, and you touched on it with the DP World Tour players, the Sandbelt in Melbourne is a destination that Rory McIlroy has said publicly he was considering coming to play the Australian Open in 2020, 2021, at Kingston Heath because it was at Kingston Heath. Nobody's suggesting he would do that for free. But he may do that for less than it might otherwise cost you to get on him the, to come. On a, on a discount, from uh, what I understand. Uh, yeah, on a, on a discount. Do we make enough of that? Is there a way to make that? Clearly, when you got to Golf Australia, James, the, you opened the bottom drawer and the, the silver bullet wasn't there. So I'm guessing there's no silver bullet to solve all of, all of the problems. The only option in that case is a long-term building strategy. What might be some of the building blocks that are part of that? The Masters, when it first started, struggled as well. Now that's an unthinkable notion. Um, how do we, what can we learn from tournaments like the Masters and those sorts of things to build the Australian Open back to where I think, and most golf fans, and most I think of high profile Australian players think it should be? Yeah, oh, look, I think, um, you think you've got to think big, Rod. Uh, absolutely. You, you don't know what you can build. And, and I think that, um, you know, look, looking back on this Australian Open, there, there's there's so much positive uh, out of that. Um, it will look different next year. Uh, it will be mixed again, James. Can, you can next conf- year. It'll definitely be mixed again next year. I, I, I don't think I, I don't think there's any way we can go back right. after the success of this year. Yes, there are, um, as, as we've said, there are there are micro issues that add up to substantive issues but they're not substantive in a way that they can't be fixed they're not fatal um, they're, they're logistics issues and they're they're basically things that um, and I, I don't want to get into the the detail of all of that but we'll review at a micro level um, and at a macro and and sentiment level uh, and talk to all of the relevant stakeholders um, to understand what it is and and um, the, the the response we've had from Partners, commercial partners, um, fans, and and government partners is resoundingly positive. And um, you know, this is you know the first time they played the Masters um, at Augusta National. Do you think they got it all exactly no, right? No, that's the whole point. Um, they didn't. No. Do you think the first no, time they played they played Test cricket at night um, in Adelaide ten years ago, or whatever it was, that everything was perfect and and it was all understood? No, but it's now part of the furniture and it's gone from strength to strength. It's part of the the Australian summer of cricket, um, and and we we believe that this this format will will continue to evolve, um, and and it will get better. We'll get we'll get that right. Um, it's the same with same with tennis. Um, you continue to innovate. You continue to evolve, and it's all about getting better. Um, and responding to the stakeholders that that really count, and that includes the players. Can you can you give us a bit of an idea of what that stakeholder list is? You know, obviously players and and commercial partners, and everything like that. And and I think your 
passion for this format and and golf is clear and i think that's you know you to be commended on that but you know and i'm i, I think it's worth noting that people like rod myself and brendan it's our passion for australian golf as well that you know is why we dig a little deeper and someone like brendan's been i think it's to something like like 35 australian opens so it, it comes from a point of he loves that golf tournament as well and you now i was speaking mike clayton this morning who's been around them as well and we're going to maybe nitpick a little bit, but what does that sort of stakeholder list look like? And, and how do you onboard that feedback from something like Brendan's story, something like Ash Buhai saying in a winner's press conference that, you know, the dates made it really hard to to get more women in that field? What what does that onboard of that feedback look like? And then actioning against so Obviously, you can't please every single person, but how does that sort of process go? Um. Yeah, great question, Jimmy. And, and I think there's the micro and the macro. And um, certainly, you know, we've we've started the conversation with the tours, the the you know, the PGA and the WPGA, and then we'll go into. Um, I guess we'll be more focused on the negatives and the positives, um, because that's that's what you need to do in order to get better. So you know, some of these these micro, I'm going to call them micro issues, the one percent, as Brendan talks about. Um, we'll go into that. I mean, I've already got. You know, there's a there's probably a list of twenty of those which uh, I think can um, some of them can be dealt with in one fell swoop. You know, eight of them can be dealt with in one um, one, one thing just uh, around the courtesy cars or about the, um, the the players' lounge and and access to that. We've already advanced our thinking on things that will um, will be significantly improved as as a result of that. Um, and, and and you know we'll. Those that those that want to express a view have expressed a view. You know, we'll take take all of that that on board. So, um, I think that um, there's a, there's a micro and there's the there's logistical issues that need to be um, dealt with. But there's the macro as well, and and scheduling is a macro. I think it's a macro issue, and it's um, I'm not going to say it's as binary as this, Jimmy. But um, you know, the women's the the women's Australian Open. Um, played in February, which is a preferred time for um, the women. And yes, indeed, we may well be able to get uh, more more players or, or a, a deeper field. Um, we could do that, but the event would look very, very different. I, I'd say the prize money would be 25% of what it is right now. Um, and... It, uh, a lot of the women that played, uh, I'd hazard a guess, but most of the women that played in the Australian Open a couple of weeks ago will never have played in front of crowds as big as that. And and again, you play an event in February, um, lesser prize money, lesser commercial sp- support, uh, lesser attendances, um, a lesser experience, full stop, and a, and a lesser profile for the women's game. And... So there's a balance there. Again, I'm I'm not saying it's as binary as that, but um, but these are on balance decisions that need to be made about what's what's in the best interests of um, the tournament, the men and and the women, and balancing that. Because yeah, I, I also accept that by putting the men and the women together, there are compromises around the men. You know, you don't have as many people playing men, male players playing on the last day as you might otherwise in. You know, the previous 30 tournaments that Brendan's watched or whatever. But uh, again, that's an unbalanced decision that, that we need to make and we need to look at. And, um, you know, 
I'm I'm pretty determined to to work through a an outcome that sees more than thirty men playing on the on the last day next year. Well, you've just scuppered my last question, James, because it's put, no, don't be sorry at all, because it's potentially the one that's caused the most controversy internally in golf is the notion of only 30 players making the cut for Sunday for both of those fields. And many of us long term golf fans and writers and watchers feel it's too few. Are there potential solutions? I'm sure you're looking at it because I reckon you must have heard it. I couldn't tell you how many times you must have heard it two weeks ago across both Victoria and Kingston Heath. Is there something can be done about that or is it simply a question of logistics, daylight, television and all those other factors that mean that that might be the egg that we have to break to make the omelette? Yeah, well, look, there are, there's no doubt you've you picked up a couple of those things, Rod. There's no doubt there's some macro issues that we need to work back from and um, one of those is TV where there's a strong preference to um, – to have the, the tournament concluding at the time that works best for free-to-air TV and the the um, peculiarities of, of free-to-air TV are that the news, you know, the 6 o'clock news is very important. They want certain programming leading into that and, and everything works back from that. Um, so so then, then you go back to the start of the day and what time can you start and, and how many people can you fit, fit in the field. But uh, I think there are... Um, yeah, you know, I think we would rebalance. You know, in in hindsight, we'd rebalance um, the field a little bit uh, accordingly. Um, of course, you know the complainants are usually the ones on the wrong side of the sure, cut, not on the right side of the cut. Um, but but at the same time, um, you know, we hear that and and we understand that. Um, uh, we'll be open to suggestions if you've got any suggestions. I'm 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 all ears. But I think there are. Um, certainly, things that we've thought of and and are discussing now um, that we'll see a see a rebalancing of of that field. I mean, there's an argument to say, um, yeah, the, the the women shouldn't be less than thirty either. But um, there's also an argument to say if you say more than you know, you're twenty shots off the lead or whatever that that maybe you have missed your chance to be playing on on the final day. Um, those sort of things will be taken into account as we um, as we work through. James, I know time is tight. We could talk to you all day. In fact, we could probably talk to you all year, and you no doubt do talk all year about this sort of stuff. You've been most generous with your time today. I hope you've never had the feeling that we do anything but want the game to be better and grow in the country. We do. I think the Venn diagram overlap is enormous between the goals that we all have. Uh, I do applaud, as I think Jimmy said earlier, and I think we all do, the bold innovation to do the mixed opens, and I'm looking forward to seeing how that pans out again next year and how some of these issues do sort out. And we must keep in mind, Jimmy, it's important. When someone tries something innovative like this, you must give them the freedom to make some mistakes because nobody's going to get it Absolutely. right exactly the first time. And so Absolutely. I that- and I, th- I, th- I hope that part of the innovation for Sydney next year, James, is a tunnel between the two host <laughs> venues because I live not far from both of the suspected places and it's a drama getting a car from one to the other. Jimmy, Jimmy will write you a column that says they got the 100 percenters right. They built a tunnel from his house <laughs> yeah, to the I'll golf I'll put course. that on the list, Jimmy. Somewhere near the bottom. Yeah, no worries. Yeah, I, I paid by a journo salary. Uh, I go well. well but I, could, I just want to make mention as well. James coming on this, and I just would like to make mention that James has been very, very helpful all the time. Whenever I want to talk, we can organise it, and he's willing to talk and talk warts and all about everything, which is to be commended when running an organisation that has a lot, but running a tournament that gets a lot of criticism, including from us. I think that's that's very, very good of him to do that and shows that he's keen for the tournament and golf to succeed as well, which is 
yeah, noteworthy. Couldn't agree more. Better let you get on get with get on with fixing golf, James. Yes, Rod. Just if I can, thanks, thanks, Jimmy. That's um, unnecessary, but um, I, I am uh, very passionate about golf, and I do believe that there are significant opportunities for the game to to grow and and be better, um, and and that includes tournament golf, and it's one of the reasons why. We're so determined to work closely with the PGA and the WPGA with a with a sort of holistic view of of golf. I, I just want to just in closing, Rod, um, it might be more of a discussion for another day. But one of the things that I've come to learn in my couple of years in golf is um, that golf's actually different and different to other sports. Mm-hmm. And like we we sort of know that intuitively, but. But uh, let me just explain what I mean by that. Um, golf is a participation sport uh, in Australia more so than it is a spectator sport. And um, the, the health and well-being of the game is so dependent on um, the, the next generation of golfer and, and growing the sport as a, as a sport for all. And and this is where I believe um, – yeah, you know, the, the the significance of the opportunity through the strategy to grow the game is is so important. Um, there there are many many people who love golf that would much rather go and play a round of golf <laughs> than watch yes and watch <laughs> the Australian Open. Yep, you're and, right. And so let's get let, there's a there's a little bit of context around that, but we also need and want our great tournaments to be uh, even better and 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 more significant, and that's. Exactly what we're all about, but the the unique you, you you talked before about you know the positives the part of the positives of golf is that it's a sport we can play forever. Yeah. Um, it's a it's a sport that men and women can play together. All abilities players can play the game, and and sometimes it's important just to reflect on high level, big picture, the holistic view of what we're all about, and quite simply. Um, as an organisation, Golf Australia, and indeed, I think I can say this on behalf of the PGA and WPGA who are sort of behind this strategy, we want more Australians hitting more golf balls. That's that's our aim. Um, you don't have to play 18 holes. You don't have to be a member of a golf club to be a golfer. But we want to encourage more people to love golf and to be looking forward to the next time they go out and hit a bucket of balls or take the kids to mini golf or just play to try and improve their handicap. And that big picture thing is it's not actually all about the Australian Open. The Australian Open is incredibly important, but it's it's a, it's part of a very significant um, and far-reaching community sport that is, um, when, when it all boils down, I've, I've dro- talked about some comparisons between cricket and we can compare to AFL or, or soccer, but but it's it's the biggest sport in the country. If we get our act together, golf is the biggest sport in the country. It might not attract the most sponsorship or the best media rights, but in a, in its significance to the lifestyle of Australian people, it's as big as any sport um, or can be. Uh, that's our aspiration, and um, we're all about trying to see that the game achieves its potential. Couldn't agree more, James, and there's a million touch points in there, but you're right. It is by far, for all of those reasons you outlined and more, the greatest game slash recreation slash sport of them all. And it's up to us in golf to make the most of that. We're not doing it yet, but I think we're getting on that road. So you're not going to see a 50-year-old tennis player 
qualify for the Champions Tour the way you did Richard Green and David McKenzie last week at 50 years old, playing amazing high-level golf. Uh, and 40 more years of golf to come for both of them. We better let you go, James. We really appreciate that and look forward to having you back. I'd really be keen to discuss that strategy you talked about at some point during the year where we can have set aside some serious time, a good hour or so, to really go through some of those uh, some of those strategies that you've come up with and, 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 uh, and expose those people. Because within golf, we need to be aware ourselves. Golfers themselves have a responsibility to this game, all of us. Yep. And there's lots, uh, there's lots to unpack there, so I'd uh, love to take you up on that invitation, Rod. Thank you. Thanks for your time, and thanks, Jimmy. Oh, thank you. And yes, thanks, thank, James. Thank you, Jimmy. Good to have you along. Eventually. Thank you, Rodney. And that's episode 129 of Good Good in the Books. It was a bonus one, but I think it was a good one, and looking forward to chatting more about it next year here on the Good Good Golf Podcast.